Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is winning season at my bookie. Use promo code Gators on a deposit of $50 or more, and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC at Gators Breakdown coming at you right here on this Monday night episode with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him at Read and Reaction and on YouTube, readreaction.com as well. All his insight there. And well, back on the winning side of things. Got beat by Kentucky last week on the road. Return home from the to the swamp for homecoming. Gators in control pretty much the whole gate, the whole way against Vanderbilt. Yeah, there were a couple of times where I got nervous after they hit the big play over uh, over Jakeem Jackson when it was 14 to 7, had first and goal there in the red zone. It was uh, a little bit hairy there for a minute or two. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, Florida did what they're supposed to do, cover the spread in this one sort of late. It really kind of worked out to be a game like I think a lot of people had picked, sort of in that 31 14, 31 17. They put on the extra touchdown at the end to make it 38 14. But in that sort of mold, and hey, you know, last week you and I were talking, and it, I think I joked that, you know, there wasn't a lot they could do to give us a ton of confidence going into the South Carolina game, but there were some things they could do that would make us not as confident going into the South <laughs> Carolina game and pulling out a win in the SEC, even if it's Vanderbilt. Um, obviously, last year taught us that we should appreciate that. And so yeah. I'm going to appreciate the wins, even when they're against Vanderbilt at this point, as, as uh, Billy Napier builds this thing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, of course, I mean, Billy Napier even mentioned it. After the game in the press conference, hey, the next step is to go win on the road. And in 2023, the road has not been too kind for the Florida Gators to open up the season at Utah. Not a lot to talk about there. And then, of course, the game before last, uh, the road trip to Kentucky where Florida just got blasted on the road in Lexington. So plenty to discuss on that front. That will be the theme all week from probably every podcast out there. Every article (laughs) website out there is Florida trying to find a way to win a game on the road. we got some stats coming at you of just how much of a struggle it has been for Florida uh, this year, of course, dating back to last year. I mean, look, Will, this goes back to Dan Mullen. I mean, let's not, I mean, we, we can put it on Napier because he hasn't turned the fortunes around, but it doesn't start with him. I mean, this was before he got hired. One reason, the, you know, Dan Mullen got fired. We all remember the trip to Columbia two years ago, which was 
kind of the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. And then he goes on the road and loses at Missouri, and he loses his job the day after that. So right around that time, you know, that's when the road struggles, you know, throwing the Georgia game to neutral site that year as well, and what that, that counts in here too. Most of this is, you know, of course, true road games is how I usually look at it, but we do play Georgia and Jacksonville every year, not in the swamp. So you got to count that one as well. Uh, but yeah, this is a problem that has dated back quite a while now. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is you play really good teams when you go on the road most of the time, right? There haven't been a lot of games um, where they've been out playing the Sisters of the Poor. I mean, you don't play you don't play Charlotte and you don't play <laughs> McNeese State on the road, right? I mean, you end up playing teams like Tennessee and Georgia and FSU and Texas A&M. And, you know, last year the Vanderbilt one's inexcusable. But, you know, and, and again, I think if you look at this year, Utah and Kentucky are two pretty good teams that Florida's played. Now, the expectation, obviously, is that you're going to compete and be more competitive than they have been in those games on the road. At the same time, I think we do need to acknowledge that they're playing quality competition when they go on the road. So the expectation shouldn't necessarily be that they're 8-0 when they go on the road in, in Napier's career. I think 1-7, though, a little bit a little, <laughs> little bit below expectations, maybe, is, is a kind way of putting it. And so certainly got to turn that around, especially against the South Carolina team. That's two and three, but has some clear warts that I think Florida hopefully will be able to take advantage of. And, and you know, this is not one of those teams that you look at and go, oh, here's a high-quality team on the road. I think you look at that and go, this is a middle-of-the-pack SEC team on the mm-hmm. road. And, it, and it's it really is time to lay down the hammer if Florida's going to be able to do it this year. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll get into it. But everybody, hit that like button. All that support right here on Gators Breakdown. Doesn't cost you a thing. Just hit that like button. It goes a long way right here. Subscribe to Gators Breakdown right here on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Everybody joining us live. Thank you so much as you do. Uh, most of you do every Monday night right here during the season. Me, Will, this is kind of our little groove. 8.30 Monday nights, everybody. Thank you for all that support throughout the years. And, of course, GatorsBreakdown.com, a lot up there today. A lot of Arliss Boardingham love. We'll get into that. Um, Scheming with Seth, the latest one, is up there. You get to take a look at what Seth Barnador put up there, of the wrinkle the Gators put in the run game versus Vanderbilt. Hopefully we see some more of that coming up as well. So really good insight there from, from Seth. You can find it all at GatorsBreakdown.com. And, of course, if you want even more Gators Breakdown Plus, link is in the description to join there. You get access to the Discord server. You get the ad-free episodes everything i mean just a lot of conversation going on we do a lot of back and forth right there on discord i'll get those chats and of course you know um the newsletter for gatorsbreakdown.com as well you can sign up for all that gators breakdown plus once once again link is in the description so uh well why are we making so much about this well i go back i just mentioned it's going back quite a while now the Gators have fallen in 13 of their last 14 contests outside of the swamp. One in 10 in the last true, uh, in the last 11 true road games. Let me do that one more time. One in 10 in their last 11 true road games. So for Napier, that's one in five in true road games, one in seven. Of course, you got to count Georgia and Jacksonville in the bowl game last season. Well, of course, it was going to be a point of contention. And as I said, Billy Napier mentioned it. As the next step right after the win over Vanderbilt. But here he was again today and really going in depth about the Gators going on the road against South Carolina. South Carolina um, is a team that we have tremendous respect for. Shane Beamer uh, is an outstanding coach and motivator and uh, always has his team ready to be competitive and play. They play with good effort 
Um, I do think he's got a tough group, uh, and they've caused problems for every team that they've played. Um, I think Williams-Brice is one of the tougher venues and better venues in the country, having played there many times in the past. Uh, and look, we're an underdog on the road in the SEC, uh, and this is an area on our team where we need to accept the challenge and take the next step by playing well and winning the game on the road. Weeks, if any, have you guys made in your process of going on the road? Yeah. And you mentioned slow starts. Do you have some data you 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 have that on starts on the road versus maybe at home? Yeah. No, I think. Um, you know, we're going to try to get to Columbia a little bit earlier this week. We've, we're tweaking our schedule on Thursday. Um, you know, we're going to put a huge emphasis on sleep Wednesday night and then, uh, you know, things that – just little things. I mean, I think we're going to arrive to the stadium a little earlier. All these things are typical quality control, you know, that we do. Um, and I think ultimately – there's a pulse from the players that you got to take into account, right? So um, most of it's mental, you know. Um, I do think that, you know, I just met with the accountability group at 11 and we talked about mentally being prepared, physically being prepared, but also emotionally being prepared. You know, you got to anticipate and visualize what it's going to be like, that it will be challenging. There'll be ups and downs in the game. Our dialogue during the week about being prepared to respond you know offense supporting defense defense supporting offense and playing really good in the kicking game what are some of the things that you think need to happen on, on the field maybe offensively to get yourself going faster is there anything that you've noticed from, from previous games that you can kind of take to build on uh yeah i mean run efficient plays score touchdowns i mean you know i mean i don't think there's ultimately it's about 11 players doing their job being on the same page, you know, ball goes where it's supposed to go. Um, I don't think there's any secret potion there. I'd be, you know, a bit, if, if we had that figured out, you know, this wouldn't be a challenge, you know. So um, I think ultimately every coach, you know, it comes down to execution. You know, you got to be mentally ready, physically ready, emotionally ready. You can't depend on some of that energy and some of those things that you benefit from being at home. You know, you don't get those. You get the opposite of that at the other place. Any play that doesn't go your way on the road, you got to, you know, there's a resiliency and a toughness that you have to overcome from the momentum that you feel, right? At home, you know, if you screw up, it's kind of on the road when they make a play or you make a mistake, it's magnified, right? So I think the resiliency and the toughness to go in there with the the preparation, like, look, it's, it's going to be a 50-round fight. There's going to be ups and downs, and you got to be prepared for that. All right, Will Gators go on the road this week to take on South Carolina. South Carolina will three straight wins at home, dating back to last year's big win over Tennessee. Uh, also this year, a win over Furman and a win over Mississippi State a couple of weeks ago as well. So three straight wins for them uh, as the Gators travel to take on South Carolina at 3.30 on Saturday. So, hey, you do catch the break. You don't have to go listen to Sandstorm at night over and over again. You get it during the daytime here. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, two, two, that trip two, two years ago, uh, Sandstorm still, still, still in the brain, still in the mind there. But uh, they got, uh, they'll be excited. They are not so happy about their season right now. Two and three are, are South Carolina. They're looking at this as a bounce-back game as well, knowing – 
Florida struggles on the road uh, a bit there. But you know, Billy Napier goes into it a little bit, Will. And I'm at this point now. Can Florida be pressing too much? Can it be in their head? You know, I, we we're going to talk about it all week. Billy Napier's been talking about it since Saturday. Uh, everybody knows this is the next step for this program. If you want any mark of consistency, when we say, "Hey, you got a big win over Tennessee." What do you do after that? Well, you went on the road and, and got clobbered by Kentucky. So if this program is ever going to be consistent under Billy Napier, eventually <laughs> this stuff on the road's got to turn around and it starts on Saturday again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the thing that I kind of look at is I don't necessarily subscribe to momentum and those sorts of things. I think it comes down to are you a better team than the team that you're playing? And when you're at home, you do have the ability to get better jump off the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. right? So you get better pressure when you're when you're on offense. You don't have to go silent count when you're at home. Those sorts of things put your team at a physical disadvantage. And so then the question is, can the opposition take advantage of the fact that you're in a physical disadvantage? So if you think about the Kentucky game a couple of weeks ago, Florida got beat up front and got beat up front convincingly. And one of the reasons they got beat up front is that they do their little clap thing. And then all of a sudden, everybody knows when the snap's coming and guys get good get off and, you know, the offensive line struggles to keep up you or to catch up. If you have the ability to 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 change your snap count a little bit when you're at home, all of a sudden that changes. So that's sort of the first thing is just how do you mitigate those advantages? And then the second one is, are you playing a team that can take advantage of those advantages? And when I think about Utah specifically on the defensive side of the ball and think about Kentucky also on the defensive side of the ball, those are two very good defensive teams. That is not South Carolina. South Carolina is <laughs> 94th in points per game allowed against FBS opponents, 111th in yards per play, 75th in yards per rush, and 112th in yards per pass. This defense is worse than the Vanderbilt defense by the numbers. Now, they've played a lot better competition, but yeah. one of the interesting things, and, and this was something I think we maybe learned, or maybe it was an anomaly in that Kentucky game, but I think maybe we learned it, is going into that Kentucky game, you looked at their stats and said, well, their stats are, are good, but they didn't play anybody yet. And then all of a sudden, against a team that I think we would all describe as kind of average, Kentucky was able to maintain that. Now, they went and played on the road against Georgia, and all of a sudden, some of their offensive advantages went away, but or defensive advantages went away, but... I think that was a function of playing a team that's just better than they are, right? Florida wasn't physically better than Kentucky. And so the question is, can Kentucky take advantage of it? Same thing I think now when you think, look at South Carolina. South Carolina isn't better physically than Florida. They're not a more gifted phys- phys- team from a physical perspective. They're not more gifted up front. And so when I look at the stats, I think the stats are probably going to hold. So this is one where you look at it and say – this is not Kentucky. This is not Georgia. This is not Florida State. This is not Utah. This is a team that's got severe limitations. And then the only question will be, do you give them extra shots at the apple? You know, do you turn third and sevens into third and twelves? Do you turn third and twelves into third and eighteens? Do you turn second and one into third and nine because you take a sack or throw a ball away for an intentional grounding rather than getting the ball out of bounds? Those are all the things that the road is going to bring into the fold, right? And once you get that sack or or once you give up that sack or once you have that intentional grounding, now the crowd's going nuts. And again, the defensive ends can pin their ears back. They know the, they know the pass is coming and they can get a good jump. So I, I think there are certainly advantages that the road brings to the home team, obviously. Um, but you know, there's a reason why when you have two teams that are even in the NFL, they give them a three-point spread sure. for being on the road. 
it should be worth about three points. It shouldn't be worth 25. So if Florida loses by four touchdowns, that's because they didn't, that's because of something going on in the program, not because they were on the road. If they lose on a last second field goal, then you go, okay, these were pretty even teams and Florida really showed up and played well on the road. And if they win, then obviously, hey, the narrative will be, well, Napier's figured something out. I don't know that that's an accurate narrative either. I think the narrative is they played a limited South Carolina team <laughs> that's very, very different than Utah and very, very different. Than, hey, well, uh, after we Kentucky. lost the Vanderbilt on the road last year, I will say we might have figured something out. No, I'm just joking. I, 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 I agree with where you're going there. Uh, you know, look, I, I think opponent matters more than where it is until it gets close, right? And once it's close, then it matters that you're on the road. So if this is a tight one, hey, that's going to make a difference. If it's a blowout one way or the other, the narrative will be something about the road. But in the end of the day, it'll be that Florida's offensive line got absolutely trucked. Or it'll be that Florida's offensive line was able to push South Carolina back like everyone else has pushed South Carolina back this year. And all of a sudden, everything is 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 great until they go on the road again the next week. And, uh, you know, or two weeks from then, I guess, because there's a bye week in there. But then until they have to go on the road again, then, uh, you know, then we'll sort of go. We'll, we'll, we'll reassess the road woes once they're playing a team like Georgia and see how that goes. Well, we'll see. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much to go into your topic, your your narrative there, which is a good narrative. Like, okay, well, we know Georgia's better than Florida. It's not because they went and played Georgia and Jacksonville. Oh, that's why we lost because it was a road game. No, we know Georgia's more likely going to beat Florida because they're better. So, hopefully, I think we think Florida is better than South Carolina. I don't know the gap there, but I do think. Florida is better than South Carolina and probably going against what I said I was not going to do last week. Will I said there was, it, 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 there's a couple ways to look at it. I said there was nothing that was Florida was going to show me Saturday to make me pick them on the road versus South Carolina. But then I got to look at it objectively and there's two ways to look at that. Florida stinks on the road. Okay. But also going to your point, Florida is better than South Carolina. And most of the time I go with who I think the better team is. So, you know, I, I go back and forth of how much to weigh Florida's road issues. I don't want to weigh it too much. Of course, I'll give my prediction later this week, but I am a big believer in, okay, the, the, the better team usually wins. Uh, so I think when you, when you take all that into account there, uh, I don't want to be as, you know, easy – as I was looking at it last week, saying there's no way I'm going to pick Florida this week just because they stink on the road. No, I, I'm you know uh, I'm looking at the matchups and there's a lot of favorable matchups for Florida. But well, as we kind of pull up what Florida has looked like on the road this year, this is why you probably start looking at the other way and why Florida stinks on the road. Uh, here we go. Well, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. If you're watching on YouTube, throw some stats up here for you. Of course, Ford and O at home are the Gators. O and two. On the road are the Gators. 4-0 at home, 0-2 on the road. Uh, and you can see right here, passing attempts, um, 37 on the road, 28 a game at home. You know, So um, 28 completions on the road, 23 completions at home, mostly because Florida cannot run the ball on the road. Florida's throwing for 288 yards on the road, 240 at home. But then you look at the rushing attempts, and, that's, and it's – Offense and defense, but while we're on the offensive side of the ball, we know how much Billy Napier wants to run the ball. We see how good this offense can be when they are running the ball. That's why they've lost to Utah. That's why they've lost to Kentucky. Part of the, part of the reason, or a huge reason, losing to those two teams. Florida on the road this year, 25 rushing attempts a game, 41 yards a game, averaging 1.6 yards a carry. 
on the ground on the road this year. Compare that to 5.3 at home. So you can see the big difference home and away. Opponents come into that a little bit as well, of course. McNeese and Charlotte on the schedule. Florida ran the ball well versus Tennessee. Florida ran the ball well versus Vanderbilt uh, against quality opponents there. 5.3 at home, 1.6 yards of carry on the road. So total yards, home for the Gators offense, 449 yards, basically 450 yards of total offense at home. Take that down to 330 yards away. 120-yard difference for the Gators offense, home and away. Will, starts with the run game. I hate to make it, I hate, I hate to make it that basic right now. We know it goes deeper than that when we start looking at the quarterback can make up for that. But given this offense, given Billy Napier's coaching style, play call style, he has to have the run game. Look, I mean, Utah and Kentucky have both taken it away, right? I mean, Utah specifically took it away, but even Kentucky just completely limited the the run game, put it all on Mertz. And the interesting thing there is if you look at the efficiency numbers – Home, they're 8.6 yards per attempt, 10.5 yards per completion. Road, they're 7.8 yards per attempt, 10.3 yards per completion. So he's not throwing downfield anymore on the road, but he's less efficient. So really, the, the completion percentage is going down even as the um, pass attempts are going up. I think if you look at this team and say, 37 pass attempts, how are you going to do? We'd be like, uh-oh. And I know there were a lot of pass attempts against Vanderbilt, but I still think that that sort of holds true, right? That you probably want to sit somewhere between 25 to 28 pass attempts for Mertz. Mm -hmm. And the only way you do that is if you're able to have rushing success. Now they did a few things this last, you mentioned Seth, his article the, the or his uh, article on Gators breakdown, looking at the wrinkles they had. Clearly they, they had two different kinds of end arounds. They had an end around that was the, the run for Ricky Pearsall. They had the sort of jet sweep to both Pearsall and to Trey Wilson that opened up a lot on the inside. I'm yeah. curious to see how much they're going to go back to that. Well, against South Carolina. You suspect they want to get the ball in Trey Wilson's hands, but that also just makes things so much easier for ETN and Montreal Johnson and Trayon Webb. So I think there's some things they can do. The, the, the curiosity to me is that they didn't really try it very much against Kentucky. I don't really remember a jet sweep against Kentucky. Yeah. Um, a little bit more creativity in the run game, especially on the road. I get it. Like you want to play things close to the vest. You don't want to turn over. But one of the things I sort of said in terms of opening up the offense for last week was they had to not be afraid to have a turnover. That's why I didn't get upset when Khalil Jackson threw that deep pass. Like they were at least taking the shot. Right, They were at least making sure that Vanderbilt had to be honest and that they couldn't sit there and just shoot up the minute they threw one of those little screen passes. And and keeping having that creativity, keeping things honest in both the running and the passing game, I think is going to be key. But, you know, think about it. I mean, how often have we seen a unique play call, something with a little bit of misdirection in either of the games against Utah or Kentucky? It's been very, very limited. And so I think that's probably one of the things we want to look for against South Carolina. Yeah, we move to the other side of the ball, Will, on defense, and it's the same thing, same there, the rushing stat. And Hurts, Florida, because of the Kentucky game, um, you know, Utah did get over 100 yards. It was well over 30 carries for, for Utah. Uh, but most of because of that Kentucky game, that good game, game does skew. But, hey, look, that's a road game. That's why we're looking at this. It does skew these results right here right now. But 6.6 yards a carry. This rush defense has given up on the season with Kentucky and Utah. 
Um, only 2.8 uh, at, at home, so playing better, um, of course, quality opponent, but uh, doing well there. Um, looking at it, only giving up 117 through the air. And you played Utah backup quarterback, Devin Leary, of course, not really lighting it up for Kentucky right now. So only 117 yards a game given up in the two road games there for the Gators. At home, though, only giving up 2.8 yards a rush. So compare that to 6.6 on the road. Big, big difference uh, when you look at it there. Total yardage on the road given up for the Gator defense, 334 a game, 263 at home. So... We just cannot have – South Carolina, they won't be able to run the ball like Kentucky did. Uh, You'd be severely disappointed if they did. This is a team that throws the ball a lot better than they pass – throws the ball a lot better than they rush it, much like Vanderbilt. Uh, The offense is more slanted, and to have more success through the air, Kentucky could run the ball. Utah's built on that tough physical front. But right here, South Carolina is not built like Kentucky. They're not built like Utah. I'd be, I, I think that rushing total, that rushing average, I don't think it'd be much of it. It should not be much of a factor Saturday in Williams Price Stadium. Yeah, I mean, I think in many ways, the, um, the South Carolina offense is kind of designed like the Florida offense. They're averaging eight yards per pass. Florida's at 7.9. They're averaging 2.7 yards per rush. Florida's averaging 3.9 now after this last week. Um, certainly, you can see the splits here in all of these stats, and the same thing applies to the defense. To your point, though, they, that really does get souped up by the Kentucky numbers. But then again, the past numbers get souped up by the fact that they gave up the big 75 yarder to start yeah. the game against Utah. And I think that's really the, the, the crux of the conversation here is that Florida is giving up explosive plays for touchdowns. They're not just giving up an explosive play that allows somebody to get into field goal range. They're giving up explosive plays for touchdowns. Like how often have we seen a 75 yard run, a 75 yard pass, you know, a couple of quick shots down the field and all of a sudden it's really fast. Um, those are the things that have really killed them in, in all of these games. I mean, the Utah game, obviously the first play of the game, everybody remembers, but it was another explosive, I think, 30, 34 or 35-yard run by by the running quarterback there for Utah mm-hmm. who was able to score. So those sorts of things where they're just, you know, one of the most important plays of the game against Vanderbilt last week was the play I already talked about with Jakeem Jackson where he brought the guy down after the explosive play. Like, just to be able to bring the guy down at the five means you have an opportunity to stop them. And look, Vanderbilt might have taken a field goal there, but even then, like giving up an explosive and having a field goal attempt is a win when you're on the defensive side of the ball. Florida hasn't had any wins on the defensive side of the ball, especially away from home. Um, whenever they've given up an explosive, it's ended up being six. And to be honest, when you look at the other side of the ball, Florida has not had that. When they've had the explosives, when they've been on the road, it's been a 22-23 yarder. You know, you think about the game against Utah where where Mertz hit Pearsall going down the sideline, but and it was a 40-yard play, but Pearsall ends up having to tiptoe the sideline and goes out of bounds when he had free reign to run if it had been a little bit better pass. So those little things, those details, you look at it and go, ooh, a 40-yard pass, this is a big deal. But it could have been an 80-yard pass. And those sorts of things, they're going to have to convert because you know they don't get the opportunity for the 80-yard pass that often. you got to take advantage of it when you get it. Thus far, their opponents on the road have been able to do that, and that's really been the difference in those games. All right, plenty more on what we want to see on the road coming up here. But before we get there, everybody, 
Hey, when your money's on the line, choose a trusted sports book that gives you the tools to win like my bookie. At my bookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for daily odds boost, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contest. Plus, my bookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Just use promo code Gators on your first deposit and receive up to $200 in cash. That's Gators to claim your own cash bonus now. Try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. Plus 38,000 on the Eagles and Chiefs. You won't find odds like that anywhere else. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. And Gator Nation, hey, you can be the difference. For the first time ever, you can directly impact the outcome on the field by joining Florida Victorious. Want to help the Gators win? Want a better game day experience? Just like when you pack the swamp, your unwavering support through Florida Victorious empowers the Gators to be their best. Join today and be the difference at floridavictorious.com and save 20% on your first month using promo code GATORSBD. All right, well, let's get to it. And I saw it, uh, I believe it was was Chase earlier in the episode in the YouTube chat, threw it up there and something that was mentioned in the press conference, something, of course, that we got to bring up when Florida plays on the road is a fast start. And, oh, boy, it has not been pretty this year. (laughs) Utah, 75-yard bomb on their first play after a Florida was, hey, Florida was on the field first, three and out to start the season, Will. Kentucky. Guess what? It was a three and out for Florida again. Did hold Kentucky to a field goal, but then you had the interception that would lead to a Kentucky touchdown on their second possession. So it was 10 to nothing quickly for Kentucky. So, Will, I think what we see here on offense, you started the Utah game. You started a Kentucky game with a three and out. Defense, you gave up big plays uh, right here. I mean, defense, you know, good for holding Kentucky to a field goal to start the game. Offense put him in a bad spot with the interception there. Uh, but, of course, you'd lo- love to see another stand. But just been quick starts for the Gators' opponents. I'll go back to last year so we can have a little bit of history. But as we're talking 2023 just a bit, it's been apparent from the start, Will, that the road was going to be hard for the Gators to come back from. Yeah, so lost in those three and outs is that they had a third and one against Utah and jumped. So it was third and six and then yep. didn't convert it. Ball bounced off Khalil Jackson's hands on on third and six. It was a tough catch, but one that he should probably make. And then there was a penalty. Montreal, they were at like third and 15. Montreal Johnson rips off like a 16 or 17-yard run against Kentucky, and that one gets called back because of a penalty. And so then they run it again on like third and 18 and don't get the first down. So in both cases, they had either a great opportunity to convert into a first down or actually had the first down and had it called back by a penalty. And I think out of everything that I look at, when I look at the splits and when I look at home versus road, and when you think about just the history of Florida over the last few years, it's the penalties that just kill them, just kill them. The special teams penalties where you got two number threes on the field, where you're jumping into the protectors of the punters, the the eight false starts against Kentucky a couple of years ago on the road. The, like It just seems like every time Florida goes on the road, there is just a, a, a giant, <laughs> giant helping of unforced penalties. So look, I don't have a problem if an offensive lineman gets caught with a hold every once in a while. 
I don't have a problem if you get an offensive pass interference because the wide receiver pushes off because most of the time that doesn't get called. Um, you know, I even wouldn't really mind if early in the game you hit a guy out of bounds just to let him know you're there, but do it on like a kickoff, not when it's third and four <laughs> and you stop him three yards short of the first down. Um, you know, so or, those or sorts of things. Four and you actually convert it, but you hit the guy out of bounds, so it's brought back. Well, that whatever, right? Yeah, like there, there are, there's a time and a place, and not the first drive <laughs> when it's going to force you into three and out. Maybe we can establish that. So, well, I, not nine penalties at Utah, ten penalties at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, and they're only averaging five point five penalties at home. So, and not every penalty is a crowd induced penalty, right? But in some ways, they are because if you're over amped and you have something stupid happen because you're not thinking about what you're supposed to do, then yeah, I could say that that might be something that's caused by the road. But I think again, I go back to the other teams there too, and especially in the Kentucky game. Kentucky was going to beat the crap out of Florida no matter what that day. They were not ready up front, and it showed. At the same time, do you really need to give the other team extra opportunities to do that sort of stuff? I mean, you know all week long they should have been piping in crowd noise. Mm -hmm. They should be used to their silent count. They should be trying to get them hyped up. You know, right before the Georgia game, one of the things that drove me crazy last year is Georgia always does that stupid thing where on third and short the whole defensive line shifts. And inevitably, Florida always jumps off sides when that happens or, or gets a false start when that happens. It's like you had to know this was coming. Like it's on film from like the last four years. Kirby's defense always does this. Like you should be ready for it. Um, so I, I hopefully Napier has, has taken the time. Hopefully, especially the offensive line coaches have taken the time to really key in on what are you looking for when you're deciding to when you're deciding to go. Now, look. Some of that is you're worried about the defense having a get off and getting through a little crease because you got to be right in tune to make sure that doesn't happen. But these are major college football players. They got to be able to play on the road. They got to be able to do it without multiple false starts, especially when it's third and one. In some cases, when it's third and one, I'd almost like to see him do the the, the Eagles thing, the tush push, just push them and get the yeah. one yard as opposed to like trying to run a running play <laughs> because running a running play has just been negative five every time when they've been third or fourth and one. Like go do something that's a little bit. Uh, you know, a little bit different. See if we can get it. Well, to chronicle these fast starts, not really going well for Florida and penalties. I'll try and combine the both here. Uh, so on the road last year, I'm going just to true road games here. I'm, I'm not counting Georgia right now and, and the bowl game. Uh, but last year got down three to nothing to Tennessee after the Vols second drive uh, before taking a seven, three lead in Florida. So they did lead early uh, versus Tennessee. And then you and, and but here we go. Well, at Tennessee last year, ten penalties, ten penalties there uh, in a, in a close game in a, in a game that ended up being close uh, at the end, maybe closer than it should have been, but still close. And then the one road victory Billy Napier has. Florida scored on the first drive, three nothing. A and M responded on their first drive to take a seven three lead. That ended up being Florida's only road win. But will. 10 penalties at Texas A&M <laughs> last year. Uh, Vanderbilt. We go to that game. Forced a Vandy punt on their first possession. Uh, Florida kicked the field goal on theirs. Vandy would go on to score a touchdown on their third possession to take the lead they would never give up. Uh, seven penalties in that game. And then we move to this year. I already mentioned the penalties uh, there uh, nine at Utah. Of course, the 75-yard bomb on their first play. Florida went three and out. Uh, on the very first possession of the game. And then Kentucky three and out for Florida. Kentucky field goal. 
Florida interception, another Kentucky touchdown uh, on their second possession, 10 to nothing quickly, and there were 10 penalties in that game. So pretty much what it is, Will, fast starts and penalties just mount. I mean, most of these games have double-digit penalties. I mean, it's not just something you can gloss over. I mean, when you have double-digit penalties, that means the timing of penalties. I'm sure that's in there. Um, that, that, that's been the biggest thing. As we said, Florida would get close. To, not only would it be third one, Will, it'd be third one in the red zone and knock you out of the red zone and, and you know, it would, would really hurt Florida. So, you know, where they've happened, where they've happened in the game, where they've happened down in distance, yeah, it's just um, been, been, been pretty inexcusable at times for it to keep rearing its head and to have double-digit penalties when you go on the road. And it's not just the penalties, though. In some ways, that's that's indicative of everything. I mean, just from a special teams perspective, they've given up 14 points this year on special teams penalties, or at least essentially have given a turnover, yep. right? That that then turned into touchdowns. And you can maybe blame the defense for not being a little bit more resistant to those sorts of things. Still put them in terrible condition. The one thing I looked at on the road, there are zero turnovers this year. Nothing against nothing against Utah, nothing against Kentucky. Which really, you know, we can talk all we want about like the defensive line win percentages and those sorts of things but they're not causing enough havoc up front when the opposition goes back to pass i can't remember devin leary really running for his life i can't remember a throw that leary threw out of bounds i can't remember anybody from utah really having to just chuck the ball out i mean i'm sure there were a couple of sacks in each of those games but there was no point where i felt like the defensive line was taking control and was really making either Kentucky or Utah uncomfortable back there at the at the running back or at the quarterback position. Now, certainly with Kentucky, one of the reasons Leary was able to be comfortable is because his running back was running for nine yards or ten yards every time he touched the ball. So that that does make a difference on those sorts of things. But look, I mean, the I I suspect that a lot of the penalties come from certainly some of it comes from youth, but I think some of it comes from when you're just overmatched, right? When you're not prepared, when you're physically, when you're physically either at a deficit or you're from an experience perspective at a deficit. And Florida's going sort of going through both of that. That that's there's a reason why true freshmen don't start a ton in the SEC, and one of the reasons is is because when you're an 18 year old kid, you're not necessarily always physically ready to be out there. So even if you're going to be a really good player. You still got a senior sitting there across from you who's been lifting weights in a big time college football program for four <laughs> years. You're gonna feel a little bit intimidated, you know, and 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 that that sort of stuff might make you jump off sides, get a false start, do something stupid on special teams, those sorts of things. Obviously, the youth then plays into that as well because you're trying to make a mark for yourself, you're trying to give full effort, and sometimes that full effort um, doesn't necessarily get you to where you need to be. I'm sort of speaking specifically to the the jumping up on the pr- protectors of the punter there. That's an effort penalty, even if it's stupid. It's an effort penalty. And then you have the added stuff where I think, you know, look, Napier can talk about all he wants, the the things they need to do in terms of like waking up earlier and getting to the field a little bit earlier and all that sort of stuff. How about not having two number threes on the field? <laughs> like, how about we avoid that, right? Like, that's just, I mean, you know, I made fun I'll, of I'm going to give credit for those things. Like, and I'm thinking maybe those things add up. Florida's not winning Saturday because they got more sleep on Wednesday night. Florida's not Florida's not winning because they went to Williams Bryce Stadium an hour earlier than they normally do. I mean, hopefully those things add up along the way. Don't get me wrong; those are things you have to try. Like you said, it's quality control. Those are the things they have to do. But I think going back to our original point, you're bet. We think you're better. Go play like it. Well, and if you if you're ahead with 32 seconds to go, take a knee. <laughs> I do. That would that'd be helpful too. 
Well, I, I, as soon as you said, and if you're ahead, I knew exactly where you were going. It, I mean, it, I mean, I, I look, I have been critical <laughs> of some of Billy Napier's decisions. I would be apoplectic if he had done that against anyone, but to do it against Georgia Tech in a game that your team should have lost, and then you end up like squeaking out and to just allow him to, to do that in a lot of different ways, right? Uh, you and I would have you you and I would have found if that was Billy Napier, you and I would have found some way to have an episode together Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, well, because I would have been boycotting the rest of the season. <laughs> it's so atrocious. Worse than two threes on the field. So the the good mm-hmm. news is, is Florida has the second worst, um, the second worst coaching gaffe of the year. Um, not the not the worst, at least in the state. Um, but. Look, and, the, the, and, that, and the two number threes were really bad, and it's not even close to that. As you said, it's the two worst, and, and there's still a huge gap. So my point is, is that Napier is to blame for some of these issues too, right? So we can blame the youth, and we can blame the physicality, and we can blame the quality of the opponents and all this sort of stuff. But one way to not have 10 penalties a game is to not have penalties that can be completely avoided on yeah. Thursday. Right, and and that's a that's a penalty that could have been avoided the the week before and the week in preparation. So eliminate those, eliminate the procedural or mental penalties, eliminate the ones where people don't know the rules, eliminate the ones on special teams that cost you points, those sorts of things. And and again, in a close game, it'll make a difference. I'm not sure it makes a difference against Utah, and I'm not sure it makes a difference against Kentucky. Florida got whipped in both of those games. So to your point, go out there, give ET in the ball, keep the wrinkles in where you got the end arounds to Trey Wilson. Make sure that your offensive line knows that they're going to get graded and and that they're their their meals, you know, Urban Meyer style, that their meals are going to uh, are are going to depend. They get hot dogs and hamburgers if if Montreal Johnson's getting hit <laughs> in the backfield, and they get steak if Montreal Johnson's not getting hit till he's four or five yards downfield. Do it that way against a relatively porous South Carolina defense. I think he got a pretty good shot of, of pulling out a win on this one. But it's interesting. If you go back and look at the overall rankings of these teams, so the football power index for ESPN has South Carolina at 36, Florida at 34. Sagarin, if you prefer that, has South Carolina at 37, Florida at 41. Um, you can go look at a bunch of different ratings, and essentially these two teams are rated almost evenly, which I haven't looked at the line yet. I assume that means South Carolina is probably about a three-point favorite in this one. Um, two, 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 two and a half. Two and a half. So it turns yep. out that that people think Florida is a people think Florida is a little bit better, but they're giving you that three point that three point edge for it being in Columbia. So that's that's the task. The task is you got to find a way to steal three points somewhere. And whether that's because you hit a couple of explosives that you wouldn't have hit before, whether it's because you run some sort of flea flicker that opens something up, whether it's a defensive end figures out the snap count and is able to take Spencer Rattler from behind and you get a fumble and all of a sudden that sets something up. Like they're going to have to do something that gets them, gets them three to seven points somewhere in there. Can and, we predict and, right there? Well, before you go for it, can we predict something right there? Or I will. There's going the Rattler's to be going to get a sack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is going to be a big play on him for Florida's defense. He's also going to hit one big play on the skater defense. So there is to me, there is going to be a wash right there. What else happens the rest of the game? Like that's well, just kind of been the mo of both these teams this year. He's going to hit a big pass, I, no doubt in my mind against this defense, which I love. Everybody kind of knows, but they're going to give up a big play probably. But at the same time, you put pressure on him, he will give you one. You got to make. As kind of going back to your point, whether like, if he does give, if you do give up an explosive and it's a touchdown, I think this defense can get an explosive back on Rattler as well. 
Well, so I'm actually really interested to see what Austin Armstrong does because I mentioned earlier, South Carolina is 120th in yards per rush at 2.7. So I don't know that, you know, against Kentucky, I was a little bit perplexed as to why he didn't bring a safety up into the box. Against South Carolina, I'm going to be a little bit perplexed if he's not playing with a light box, right? That, that let your front four do its job. Mm-hmm. and play coverage behind it. And like you said, Rattler will throw into coverage. There's no doubt about that. And if Human Milan and those guys up front are as good as build, they should be able to get to Rattler. North Carolina certainly did. I think he got sacked nine times against Tar Heels. So yeah. there is an opportunity to get to him. If they're not able to run the ball, he's going to be in a lot of passing situations, situations where you can pin your ears back. Rattler can run a little bit, but if you're playing zone behind, he's not going to hit you for some giant big runs. Now, that's not what Austin Armstrong does. And Austin Armstrong tends to be man-to-man, tends to leave his cornerbacks out on an island. The touchdown that Vanderbilt got was cover zero, 85 yards away from from Vanderbilt's end zone, which is a unique call. Usually, you see defensive coordinators go cover zero when when the the opposite where getting beat deep doesn't really matter like having that single high safety out there to to cover doesn't really make a difference because you're going to hit the guy in the back of the end zone anyway he doesn't tend to do that so i'll be curious now he did it against tennessee he played a lot more zone against tennessee played a lot more too high you know cover shells against tennessee we'll see whether he does it against south carolina because i think that's probably the profile of what i would expect to beat the gamecocks same here, same here for sure. So, uh, well, let's <clears throat> keep uh, some good news on here in Florida. Maybe, maybe. I mean, this dates back to the spring for me, but maybe, uh, may- maybe unearthing a tight end, maybe unearthing a, a weapon here at that position for the first time in a few years. We'll see uh, if he can continue it going on. Young guy, Arliss Boardingham, will SEC Co Freshman of the Week that was named and announced today by the SEC. Uh, earned this honor for the first time in his young career. The second freshman to win the award, Jordan Castell, won it in week three, his performance versus Tennessee, uh, and a fourth Gator to win an SEC Player of the Week award so far this season. Uh, two weeks after scoring his first career touchdown against Charlotte, Boardingham found the end zone twice during the Gators' week six victory at home against Vanderbilt. His first touchdown came in the second quarter, breaking a 7-7 tie. Boardingham also scored the final Gators touchdown on Saturday as Graham Mertz found the speedy tight end for a 15-yard score. Um, of course, seven receptions there, Will, for the California native, 99 yards receiving. Uh, most receptions by a Florida tight end since Kyle Pitts totaled eight in 2020. It's been that long, Will, since the tight end has made these type of plays in the Gator uniform. So no matter who they played, um, it's – Right here, Arliss Boardingham since Kyle Pitts. Boardingham also totaled the most receiving yards by a Florida tight end since Kamori Gamble recorded 122 in the 2021 season. So, of course, receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns were all career highs. Will, this tight end position is new for him. Wide receiver, linebacker in high school, coming from the state of California, not a lot of luck in that state <laughs> for, for the Gators uh, when you've gotten guys from that state. But uh, hopefully we'll, you know, Billy Napier's kind of just been searching for that playmaking tight end. He did. He had some nice blocks as well on Saturday too, uh, that hopefully will get him some more playing time. Um, I do not expect Odom to m- maybe be much of a factor, maybe the, re- the rest of this season. So we'll see where that goes, but you know, Bordingham, if he can keep this up, Kind of going to unearth a weapon that uh, Billy Napier hopefully can start using to expand this offense. 
Yeah, there are a couple things that I think we should we should note when it comes to boarding camp's performance against Vanderbilt. The first is they designed that first touchdown to go to him. Ricky Pearsall goes out and essentially throws a pick on on Boardingham's man. He's the guy, he's the target the entire time, and they get him open, and all of a sudden, hey, it's there. Great. Primary receiver, cool. The other thing is, is that he was the check down for Graham Mertz a few times, and Mertz has been mostly checking it down to Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne up until this past game. Now, obviously, Etienne's out in this one, but if you look at, it, I think there were like, I think there were like twelve receptions by Florida running backs against Kentucky, and you yeah. can't live that way. You you got to start throwing the ball down the field. So even if Mertz isn't necessarily going deep, just throwing it six or seven yards to boarding him makes a difference. And he made the biggest play in my estimation on the offensive yep. side of the ball on that third and 15, where, you know, it's possible Florida would have to punt the ball back. Mertz had been injured. I think right before that, and he breaks that he breaks a bunch of tackles, converts that third and 15 into a first down. And all of a sudden Florida's in business and is able to put the ball in for a touchdown because of that extra effort. So, um, you know, that's not necessarily a play we've seen anybody make this year where they've just bulldozed the defense. And that's the tight end aspect of him, right? Is that mm-hmm. he's able to do that. Now, is he as gifted as Kyle Pitts? No, nobody is, right? But at the same time, just having the guy who can go out and get you an eight yard pass, who essentially Travis Kelsey's it, right? Runs out, turns around, gets the catch. But a lot of that depends on your ability to block. So, like you mentioned, if he can block and is a plus or at least not a negative in the running game, then you can leave him out there. The problem with young tight ends usually isn't necessarily their pass catching ability. So you go seven for 99. Cool. That's great. How'd you do in the run game? Did you, did you get blown up a few times? Were you a reason that Graham Mertz got hit? Those are the things I think you need to look at on tape. It didn't appear as though Boardingham was a reason. He wasn't a negative on the blocking side of the ball. And I think that really more than anything is the thing that should encourage people because he's going to be able to catch the ball. He's a gifted guy. Like you said, a wide receiver in high school, he's going to be able to go out there and catch the ball. The question is going to be, can you put him on the field often enough that he can get those seven catches? And at least against Vanderbilt, they were able to have him out there and able to utilize him and for that particular aspect of the game. Yeah, Montreal Johnson's big run in the second quarter really, really went a long way, partly in due to uh, Arliss's uh, blocking there. Also, we'll talk about explosives. We, we mention explosives all the time. Catches 15, 19, 20, and 23 yards. And one of those being that third and 15 you mentioned uh, there. So also getting some explosion out of him. It's not just the you know, four-yard catch here uh, and, and there. It's 15, 19, 20, 23 yards to go along with that. So desperately, you know, <laughs> the tight end position has been marred by injuries since Billy Napier's been here. We've rotated a whole lot of bodies there. Uh, but right now, looks like Boydingham, Hanson, you know, your top two tight ends for the Gators right now. Uh, hopefully, as long as those guys can stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, look, I think they are um, they are thin at that position, and they're young at that position. But Boardingham is clearly the future at that position, and to see him taking that step forward is encouraging. Now the question is, can you do it two weeks in a row? And yep. the question is, can you take it on the road? Because obviously young guys, you see this in basketball all the time. We're at home. The bench players are always awesome. And then they go on the road and they just kind of disappear. And, you know, football's kind of felt like that this year, right? Is, is that there have been guys who have um, made their way, who have been 
solid contributors at home. And then when Florida's gone on the road, you've been like, where are those guys? And that's not Pearsall. That's not ETN. But some of the other guys on the periphery, especially the younger guys, are going to have to start showing up on the road, have to carry it. So two games in a row from Boardingham, I think, is what everybody's looking for. Certainly, this should have been a confidence boost in the game against Vanderbilt. But how do you carry that forward? Do you do you settle in and settle because everybody's been patting your back this week? Or do you buckle down and say, I love the way that felt. I'm going to go work and put my head down and make sure I'm ready so that I can have that feeling again for a second straight week. And, uh, you know, we'll see which direction that goes. Yeah, Chris Thornley brought up a good point in the chat there. As you mentioned, two weeks in a row. Hey, this would be a, a, a road game that Eugene Wilson, Trey Wilson would be. He was not on the field versus Kentucky. Uh, hopefully, you know, they're making a big difference on the road in South Carolina as well, too. So, uh, something different that the Gators were that that will be on the field that was not on the field last time uh, is Wilson out there, and we saw just how much he can mean to this offense. Well, I'm still waiting for that big one. You, you know it's coming. <laughs> you know there's going to be a 60 yard or so at some point that he's going to pop. Uh, but yeah, good 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 for him to get into the end zone uh, versus Vanderbilt as well. But you can tell you can tell how they want to you can tell how they want to use him. Yeah, just give me the 60 yarder against Georgia, man. Hey, like, that, that's there when we, we need it. Give it there to me against go. Georgia. Well, give me uh, give me one this week to get that road win, and give me one and give me one on the neutral side as well. But yeah, fourth close fourth quarter game, and there's there's that sixty yarder wheel. There we go. I'll take it. I'll take uh, it. There you go. I, it's funny. Georgia has not looked unbeatable except for the game against Kentucky. <laughs> and uh, you know, I asked you last week, like, well, what would it? Will you feel differently about the beatdown from Kentucky if they go and play well against Georgia? And the answer was no. And the answer now is an emphatic no. That's one of the cool. And I expected. Don't get me wrong. I expected Georgia to win easy. I did not expect. That easy? No, do not get me wrong. That offense that Kentucky runs is just not conducive to beating a defense like Georgia. It's just not. Um, that's one thing that worries me about Napier's offense is, I mean, think about it, Will. Think about the quarterbacks that have beaten Georgia in recent memory. A Mac Jones, a Kyle Trask, a Joe Burrow. You, know, you got quarterbacks that are going to drop back and throw it 40 times and throw it comfortably and pick apart a Georgia defense. You're not going to be Kentucky and line it up and expect to run it against Georgia. You just, you're just not. You're just not. That, 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 that style of offense is not going to beat that defense. Well, so it's a good thing DJ Lagway is thrown for like 350 <laughs> yeah. touchdowns this Correct. year. Correct. And, uh, you know, we knew we knew Florida was going to have to bring in a guy who could sling it. They've got a guy who's who's playing well, but not, but not a guy who's going to win you the game. And that's the limit. That's one of the limitations they have right now. And so they're going to have to sort of piece things together in order to make things work. And, you know, what you're really going to have to hope for, I think, is that Florida's defense, which took a major step back against Kentucky, obviously, can take some steps forward over the next few weeks. And, and mm-hmm. that's really going to be, they're only going to go as far as their defense can carry them. I and when you look at the overall stats, look, Florida's 50th in yards per play gained on offense, they're 70, 76th in yards per play allowed on defense. They're kind of an average football team, and so the, they're four and two as an average football team, two and one and uh, two and one in the SEC. Ah, okay, given average stats, that's not terrible. Now the question is, can one unit or the other take a step forward? I think it's much more likely that they take a step forward in uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So that's what I think we should probably be looking for over the next couple of weeks: is who steps up there, what kind of turnovers can they start getting? Can they get some pressure up the middle from from Cam Jackson and from Caleb Banks? Because that's really what, something that's been missing quite a bit is coming straight up the middle. So we'll see whether they're able to do that. And you know, I, I think 
as of right now, based on the statistics, we shouldn't be surprised this team's a little bit up and down. But the fact that it's always up at home and always down on the road is obviously something that needs to change. Yep. So I right, yeah, really looking forward to it. Hopefully, as you said, you know, you go back to South Carolina and their offensive line issues. They have gotten better since that North Carolina game, but still not an offensive line you'll write home about. So certainly some, you know, that that's probably the biggest, you know, that's that's the position group I think we'll watch. They got one receiver legged. Um, I was talking to my South Carolina buddy today. He said Tennessee did a really good job of doubling him, not making sure that Rattler was not able to focus on him. Uh, so, you know, there's your kind of quick, quick preview. I think, you know, we'll be able to expound on this week. But, uh, yeah, Florida's defensive line, South Carolina's offensive line, you'll take that matchup from what we've seen so far this year. And hopefully that it means a little bit more uh, Saturday there in Williams Bryce. So, uh, well, anything else, man, you guys got going on at Reading Reaction? Now we'll have a stand-up and holler later this week, sort of recapping the Vanderbilt win and what it means for the heading into South Carolina, probably with a little bit more statistical analysis than I was able to do over the weekend. And then uh, and then obviously there will be a preview for the South Carolina game up on the site. So, uh, you know, go over there and check it out. Hopefully Thursday morning it will be up over there and you'll be able to check it out. And, uh, you know, I'm starting to get a, a, better, a better feel for the team. Like I'm still not quite getting the spreads picked right, but in terms of what's actually happening during the game, the previews are starting to really line up. So, so um, that's always fun. Once you start getting a read on different teams, can start to use the stats and some of the film to figure out, okay, what exactly is going to happen in these sorts of things. And then you go out there and look at it. You watch the game and go, oh, wow, exactly what I looked at <laughs> or exactly what I thought was going to happen happened. That's pretty cool. So uh, so that's starting to happen, and that's always fun to see. You know, we're halfway through the season, man. Oh, like, it, it's hard to believe we're halfway through the season oh, already. Jeez, man. man. This, it, goes, it goes by so fast. Yeah, we we need like a we need like a an XFL version of college football. <laughs> <laughs> Just like can we have can we have like JV and varsity club, club level football? Yeah, exactly. Let's let's eliminate freshmen being able to play and just have them play in the off season, and then uh, and then they can play as true sophomores or something. We got to figure something out. Do not let my wife hear you talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that we, we need the break. We need the break. That's why we. That's why we love it so much. But oh man, I know it just goes by so fast. Oh, it always does. Always, always. All right. Hopefully, we're talking about a victory next time when we get together next uh, Monday, right here on Gators Breakdown, going into the bye week. So yeah, uh, right around that midpoint week before Georgia, I got the bye week. But first, hopefully, a win over South Carolina. So for Will Miles, you can find him on social media at Will Miles SEC. His sight reading reaction. Stand up and holler on YouTube as well. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on social media at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>